Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I am a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Today's episode is a mini-sode that we call Friday with the Wife. In these mini-sodes, my wife Kim and I deconstruct the strategies that we've developed over the last decade to not only grow personally, but to turn our struggles into lessons and create fulfillment in all areas of our lives. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Let's dig into today's topic. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Well, Kimberly Murgatroyd, how the hell are you? I'm good. It sounded like I was like in trouble in the principal's office for a second there. No, you know what that is? What is it? <laughs> it's coffee? No, it's what we call in the business a pregnant pause. And I don't want you around pregnant. I, I don't want say, you around, no preg- pregnant around No, me. I don't want you around pregnancy at all. But it, but it is called a pregnant pause. But listen- Yes, honey. Do you know why we're here? Uh, I believe we're recording a podcast. We are here, honey, yeah. to talk about greatness. Dun, da, da, da. So, I um, feel like I need a Superman cape for this episode. Listen, our life, our life has been super hectic, right? We're okay. traveling around the world nonstop, back and forth, LA, Schmele, just, just nonstop. And so we're having a little bit of... Um, an opportunity to catch up on things like documentaries because we're we're a captive audience sitting in a seat for five or six hours. By the way, when you sit, so when we went to Israel and then, you know, LA and back and all that, and we're that captive audience, when you turn on the TV portion of your flight, mm-hmm. do you go to new releases? Do you go to romance? Do you go to rom-com? Or do you go to docs? Where do you go? You know, I'm going to tell you that I'm you not- You watch The Notebook? No, I am a procedures guy and I am oh extraordinarily- God. Even on a plane? Even on a plane, but I, okay. So here's what I do. Look, I'm, un, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable with the way this, the, the way Delta has this, uh, has this thing laid out. You know, I'm grateful that there's a, that there's a television in my seat. You know, when, 
you know, when the Wright brother, when I was a kid and the Wright brothers, you know, <laughs> created a plane and I got on it, you know, we didn't have that. But but now now it's there. And I think my flow is first to look at the flight tracker. And sometimes I look at the flight tracker and we just took off and it says you have eight hours left, um, which isn't so good. But then I, then I would say I just kind of bounce around first through movies, documentaries, and then I go to TV shows, which I almost never watch. Isn't so, that funny? That's that's what I would that's what I would say. I am a straight up doc girl. Like yeah. I RBG, I will watch a documentary on anything. But you know what's funny about Flight Tracker? The little the little map. Hmm. Sophia is addicted to it. She is. She loves, she's just like her mommy. She loves maps. And she is addicted to the flight tracker and knowing exactly where she is at all times, which I think is hysterical. But that's neither here nor there, nor about greatness. So what does this have to do with greatness? Well, well when we were on the plane, we saw a uh, documentary and it was, I saw a documentary. It was titled uh, In Search of Greatness, I think is the title. And yes. I get very little things right. So just Google. You got that right. Okay. And it was a documentary about sports and sports. And which I am is even weirder that you is, watched. Right. I am I am not a sports guy at all, but I am a I am a fan of mastery and how people do what they do. And so I was like, huh, you know, got nothing else to do. I'll put it on. And within five minutes, I was absolutely captivated. There's a guy named oh Wayne, my God. Wayne Gretzky, okay, who, <laughs> oh I just, who I just learned about. And apparently he plays hockey and he's good at it. No, honey, he hasn't played hockey in many years, but yes, he why, played hockey. Why are you, why are you ruining my, my story with the facts? Okay, so what we thought we would talk about today is greatness in general and sort of, you know, what prompted this conversation was after I watched it, I texted Kim on it. We weren't sitting next to each other, but, you know, we had the Wi-Fi thing going. So I texted her and I was like, you got to watch this thing. And she watched it. And, you know, when we got off the plane, there were a lot of things that came up for both of us in, you know, different areas of our lives. Um, but for her, more specifically, because her dad by trade was, is a basketball coach. So I, I think I think we can kind of start there. So let's let's kind of move into, you know, just a general talk about greatness. Yeah. So there's three things I wanted to talk about today. So what makes greatness, how you can apply it to your business, and then raising greatness in your children. And I think that to is my, you know, where I'm I get so excited because obviously I want it for myself, but I want it even more for our children. So first up, what makes greatness? And what I loved in this doc is how Wayne Gretzky and Pele talked about how, you know, if you put them in the, in the what's it called? The combine? Well, I just learned that word, okay. but yes, it is, it is the combine. So if you had put them in the combine and you just tracked their, you know, speed and their height and their physicality, they would not have been deemed like great athletes and they wouldn't have been the chosen one to you know go on to have this incredible elite athlete you know greatness in in their sports and what it came down to for them was not just you know yes did they have some skill obviously they did but it came down to other things like intelligence and their creativity and that is truly what allowed them to excel past the ones that just had the skill and just had the height and just had the speed. It allowed them to bypass them into not just being a great athlete, but 
like into the stratospheric success of athletes. And so that's what I thought was really interesting because they kind of unwound that story, you know, and they asked Wayne, we're on a first name basis now. They asked Wayne about, you know, growing up and he said, you know, I always have parents that come over to me and I can tell that they're trying to influence their son to be a great hockey player. And they're saying, Wayne, tell a little Bobby here how much you practice, you know, kind of making Bobby feel like he's not doing the work. He's not putting the practice in. And Wayne's like, that's not what this is about. Actually, no, Wayne said, it's not what this is a boot. A, a boot, <laughs> that's true. He said, not this is a boot. And why, honey? Because he's from Canada. Canada. So when he meets these parents and he's talking about practicing, he's like, did I practice two hours a day? Yeah, sometimes. But it was because I loved practicing and I was passionate about the sport. And, you know, it wasn't everything though. There was no, my dad wasn't slave driving me to hit the puck out in the back. When he saw that I had a natural talent for it, he did. And I loved, and this this entire doc reminded me of my dad because my dad always says you can't coach ambition. He's a college, he's been a high school basketball coach, a college, but he's currently a college basketball coach. He's coached some of the greatest players in the country. And he's about three feet tall, which is the irony of the whole thing with basketball. But he always talks about not coaching ambition. And that's one of the things that um, Wayne Gretzky was talking about is having that ambition and that passion, that is going to be so much more important than the natural skill and ability. You know, um, you're right. And one of the things that really, really struck me, you know, it's like most things in life, right? Things are super counterintuitive. When you think that there's a strategy to do something, you find out that the best of the best of the best did not do that strategy at all. And, you know, as with most things, like I just said, it's extraordinarily counterintuitive. And one of the big lessons I got that's sort of related to what you just said was, you know, he said when hockey season was over, he immediately put on his football outfit, his baseball outfit, or whatever the next season. I love that you went with What do they wear? They wear they wear something. They wear. Oh my god! What is it? A polo outfit? No, he said he picked up his glove. Okay, whatever. He didn't even reference an outfit, but but you (laughs) wouldn't be the one to turn it. What kind of glove? Like a Michael Jackson glove? It's his Michael Jackson glove. All right, so he so when the season was over, he picked up the glove (laughs) and put it on his outfit, (laughs) and he went out. And he, you know, he he played baseball. So the point is that he wasn't, and the reason why he did it was because he had a love for sports in general. Yes, he loved hockey. And he talked about how he would sit there and he naturally, his dad didn't take a wooden spoon and hit him over the head, but he naturally would take a piece of paper out while he was watching a a hockey game. And he would just start drawing lines of where the puck would go. And he would draw these, you know, like, you know, figure eights, let's say, all over the paper, back and forth. And he would just study where the puck went. He didn't study where the puck went because somebody made him do it. He did it because he naturally was inspired to do it. And so his dad just sort of built on the inspiration. He said, okay, my kid loves to do this. And so he did. And so when the season was over, he moved on to the next sport. And one of the, I mean, and there's a lot of lessons in what I just said, but another thing, or what Wayne just said, And another thing that I thought was really, really fascinating was that when he came back to hockey, he was better 
because his creativity was increased because he was doing a different sport. Yeah, like when he talked about how he'd go and play like a pickup game. And, you know, in Canada, that there's ponds, they freeze in the winter. He, Him and his friends would go down and just play. And it wasn't like rigid and regimented. And this is this play and that is that play. Real greatness comes with freedom and having a little bit more control, but a balance between freedom and control. And all of the athletes that they interviewed, whether it was Pele, Jerry Rice, or Wayne Gretzky, they talked about how having a great coach was not a coach that knew how to to call a play. It was about allowing the athlete to have the freedom to do what they do. And they all did something different. It was just like unleash the Kraken, you know, and that's a great coach. And it's, I think it's the same in business. When you have a great coach or a great mentor that sees your natural gift and sees what you're going to do, they allow you to do it. And they just, like I said, unleash the Kraken, allow them to go, give them the freedom, give them the control. And that is that balance is something that's really important in athletics as well as in your business. A lot of them, yeah, I agree with you. A lot of them, you said something that made me, that made this trigger for me. A lot of them follow their intuition. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that they've got this bulleted checklist of I've got to do this, that, and the other thing. They sort of go with what feels right. And it tends to be extremely unconventional. So for example, Jerry Rice talked about how, you like how I just pulled that out there? Football yeah. player, Jerry oh, Rice. Oh, I was just going to ask you what mm-hmm. sport he played. I'm a step ahead of you, baby. Jerry Rice. Uh, um, and he was also, and I only know because he was on Dancing with the Stars. All right. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh my God. That's uh, fine. So he would take a football, turn yeah. all the lights out. Okay. And he would throw it up and, and he'd catch it in the dark. And this allowed him to get a sense of what it's like to catch a football, to feel where the football is coming down, but not being able to see it. And to be able to put it wherever he needed to, right? Put it wherever, he, that's what she said. Now, the, <laughs> the the other thing that I thought was interesting is as when the, when the ball is being thrown to him, when he describes it, he describes it as everything slowing down into slow motion as it's approaching his hands. And it just, it's like the world just stops and you can just hear this like the air and the wind of the ball going through the air into his hands. And I thought that was really different. And and, and Pele as well, you know, his coach was telling him about how to, you know, not dribble the ball so much. And he was like, no, I need to dribble the ball more. And because he followed his intuition. So sometimes- You know, like uh, Wayne Gretzky said, I would just follow where the puck went. That's what I, that's what my focus was. And so to your point on the, uh, on the combines is he said, look, if you, if you looked at all of these, if you broke me apart, I was not good in most of the things that they're trying to measure in the combine. So nobody would have picked me because that I wasn't great at those things, but there were a few things that I was naturally good at. And we can put it in the category of zone of genius just for for the entrepreneurs that are listening. And I, I just thought that that was really, really interesting. What I think is interesting is, the, yes, the application to business as well. So in my business with network marketing, a lot of people try to prospect people and determine, let's call it like a combine, right? 
oh, well, this person has a really big network and this person is in fitness and this person owns a gym or, you know, and they try to create this almost like do it by the numbers. Like, do they check all the boxes? And if they do, they're going to be an amazing person to have on my team. And they go after the wrong thing. And they think that all of those things is going to bring this person success, but it's not. It's the creativity. It's the intelligence. It's being able to think outside the box and do something a little bit different, go against the norm. And I think that application into business is one of the biggest things that I took is don't necessarily... Like Rob, for you, you can look at all of the masterminds that are being done right now. And they're all very similar. They're following a very... Not in content, but in pattern. You know... You do three a year. You go to three, you know, you go to one location. You have a hotel that with a conference table and a pad and a pen and a projector and slides. A lot of these masterminds are doing the exact same thing. Content may be different, people are different, but they're following the same checklist or protocol. You are going against the norm. You're doing what a lot of people told you no one would do and you have almost filled it. And so to me, you're in your zone of genius, which is your creativity and using what you do best as opposed to just following along the status quo and trying to fit in. Yeah, and I have to tell you, this was not easy for me because I am a guy that wants a formula. I'm starting to lose that though, I have to say. I'm a guy that that used to. I'm going to I'm going to interrupt that pattern. I'm a guy that used to need an absolute formula because if you if I follow this formula, I'm going to get this result and I think that that is incredibly useful for certain things. So, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say I'm never going to follow a formula and that makes no sense. But I I have in the past followed formulas so much that I did not allow any of my own creativity, inspiration, zone of genius, gut feeling, intuition to come out. And for the first time, I'm 52 years old and I'm finally getting this lesson now that do whatever the fuck you want to do that feels right for you. And what feels right to me at this particular, to use the example that you just mentioned, what feels right to me is to go after something that's important to me, which is fulfillment. You know, my life is half done. I want to make sure that I have more fulfillment in my life. So the mastermind that I'm creating is targeting fulfillment. And I know when you put a bunch of entrepreneurs together that they're going to talk business. There's no way around it. I mean, I can take them hot air ballooning in Florence and they're going to be talking about business. There's no there's no way around it. But, but they're also going to be hot air ballooning in Florence, right? So anyway, I went off on a riff there. Yeah, that's good. So Stop. So let's move to the second one. We already kind of have applying to applying this kind of greatness to your business. So applying it to your business, this whatever your business is, if you don't have the natural skill and you don't have the magic formula, that's okay. Go with your creativity, go with your intelligence, stop trying to fit in, stop trying to do what everybody else is doing. The people that achieve the real greatness, they don't necessarily follow the formula. They break the mold altogether. You know why Wayne Gretzky is the best? Why? Because he freaking loved it. He wanted it. He had passion for it. He had fire. He was going to do this 
no matter what. There was no way around this. He was going to do this. He was absolutely passionate. Was there luck? Was there skill? Was there... Yeah, there was all of those things. But underneath all of those things was a burning freaking desire. Makes me think of like, remember the Quan with, you know, with... uh, uh, is Jer- that what it was, Quan? I think so, and Jerry Maguire. And Jerry Maguire, right? Where is the passion? And I'll tell you, I have spent a lot. I have spent a lot of my life doing things that, on paper, seem like the next best step to do, but didn't. If I'm, if I'm being completely honest, which we appreciate, I did not have the passion for it in the way that I should, because I thought that the thing over here that I did have the passionate that the passion for. I didn't think it would make any, any money or I didn't think anybody would buy it or I didn't think I'd be very good at it or I didn't have any skill set around it, but I didn't do it. So the point is, I think whatever it is that you're doing, make sure that you have the passion for it. And when we talk about this for children, it's very easy for me to, like I spent a lot of time with my first child, um, Demi, just convincing her from kindergarten that she's going to go to Harvard and Yale. Because I wanted to go to Harvard and Yale, and I thought, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to program her from the beginning, except for one thing. She didn't want to go to Harvard or Yale. That was not her passion. That was not what she wanted to do. So with with this one, I'm glad I get a redo. So I get to come around again and look and say, okay, well, I noticed when Sophia at four years old gets pissed at me, she goes in her room, slams the door, which is really kind of funny. It makes me laugh. Um, and then turns her piano on, and, you know, the little electric piano. She's like Taylor Swift. She's like Taylor Swift. And she goes in there and she starts playing piano. So I'm like, huh, okay. That's where she goes, Lady Gaga, four-year-olds, when she's <laughs> when she's feeling an emotion. So a- I just- Her teenage angst. Her teenage angst. So I'm making a mental note of that. So, you know, that's a great segue into raising greatness in your children. And, you know, whether you have children or not right now, you may want to just, you know, log that in the back of your brain. Because here's one of the biggest things. I see this in Sophia's school with the other parents at the playground with my friends. Everybody wants their kid to have the edge to be hyper-prepared. They want them to be the first to read, the first to write, the first to whatever. And here's the problem. We are structuring these kids so much that they have no time for, wait for it, creativity. If you put in front of the kid, for this next 20 minutes, you're going to do writing. If this next 20 minutes, you're going to read this. And you're choosing it and you're structuring every single thing There's no time for creativity. And if you have no time for creativity, then you're not gonna lead to greatness because that's where greatness is formed. It's in those creative moments. So unstructured play leads kids to more success and happiness. This is why for me, Montessori was the perfect blend of like super structured, you know, preschool and daycare. You know, daycare is a lot of playing. Preschool is a little more structured. Montessori, I love because it is child-led. So when Sophia, this morning, to give you an example, we're driving to school and Sophia said, mommy, I really want to start my morning reading. 
and she's learning to read and it's not super easy for her. And I haven't been pushing her. There's kids. I mean, she's four years old. There's kids in our class that have read a thousand books. And you know what? That's awesome for them. But for my kid, I I told the teacher, I said, I'm not going to push her. I'm not going to force her every day to do something that she's not currently interested in yet because she's four, like she's going to get there. And today she's said, I want to read first. So when her teacher came to get her from the car, she told her teacher, I would love to read first today. And that's the beauty of Montessori because they can do the things, they do have to check off all the boxes by the end of the day, but they get to do it in the way they want to do it. And, you know, she, like you said, she loves art, she loves music. So when we find these things that happen in unstructured creativity, we foster them. Sophia, I see that you love music. Would you love to take lessons in the piano and learn about it? Sure. So we sign her up for lessons, but it's not because I need her, her to have a recital at the end of the year, you know, and play Baba Black Sheep or whatever. Yeah. One of the things, as you're speaking about this, I'm, I'm going back and I'm thinking about the movie in, in Search of Greatness. And there was a scene in there. I'm sure you caught it, Kim, because you have a, a background in gymnastics. Did you see when they were mm-hmm. showing the gymnastics and they showed the the faces of the girls that they looked like they were worried, anxious, fearful, and in general, not having fun as someone that age would likely have fun. And so when you're making these demands to do these things, and then of course, we don't even need to get into this, those like insane freaking parents that are yelling at these kids. No, while we do under- need to get into this. I mean, it's, that, it's so is- crazy. Like they, they, they have this, in the, in the search of greatness, they have this, uh, this father that is just like screaming. You know, he's, he's a coach dad and he's just screaming at this kid. At like six-year-olds. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but some people would look at that and they would say, well, you got to whip the kids in the shape, right? They got to be focused. But I would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And I would say create some room for them to be able to have a good time and be creative in the sport that they want to do. Yeah. And this is something, you know, again, back to my dad, he is so ahead of the curve in this because I have been hearing this all my life. He is not a not a proponent of putting kids into organized sport at a young age because they aren't learning to use their imagination. When you have unstructured play, when the kids go out and play and they play kickball on their own, guess what they do? They learn social skills. They learn problem-solving skills. When Johnny doesn't want to share the ball, what do they do? They work it out. I remember when Demi used to come to us with like problems, we'd listen to her problems, but we'd let her work them out with her friends. Still do. And not swoop in and save her. And right now we live in a society where every kid gets a trophy. No kid can get hurt. You know, you can't tell a kid they didn't dribble correctly or whatever. Like every kid, no one can be first place. No one can win the game. And that's not real life because real life is set up with winning. But guess what? They don't need to do that at four years old. They don't need, they need to play and they need to be, um, you know, work their imagination and make up games. I remember as a kid making up games. My grandmother would give us a can, we'd go out, we'd play kick the can and we'd make up all the rules and they'd change every single time. That's creativity, that's problem solving, that's social skills. That's how you learn to negotiate. Those things are so much more important than putting your four-year-old 
into an organized sport where the coach tells them what to do. So I just think that, you know, if you really truly want to raise greatness in your kids, and by the way, this movie is so great too, because it shows Serena and the other one, Venus, and what their dad did. And, you know, there, yes, those were definitely more regimented dads that really wanted to create champions, but they saw a natural ability and they saw a passion that the girls had for it. And I can't speak to their upbringing or anything like that, but you know, I think that's what you're looking for with your kids. Where are they naturally going? Do they have enough unstructured time to be creative and to learn and to solve their own problems? You know, Jerry Rice talked about how he didn't even play football until he was a sophomore in high school because his mom thought he'd get hurt. And he went on to be one of the best in the NFL. So they don't have to start at four years old. They don't have to go to the best camp and have the best coach and have the best anything. They have to have creativity. They have to have a passion, their passion, not your passion, right, Rob, with Harvard. They have to have their passion and that is what is gonna make them better. We're overscheduling them and overscheduling them leads to stress. It leads to anxiety and it does not lead them to be a child prodigy. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, when you really look at these people that are great and you're like, okay, well, what is it that's making them great? They're all different. I don't care if you're looking at broadcasting and you're looking at Howard Stern. Howard Stern had this idea that it's just him, He right? went against the norm. He went against it. There's nothing. He got fired from every freaking television at radio station because he wasn't doing the norm. And he was like, screw you. And then goes on to Sirius and they give him a, you know, a 500 million, some insane contract. And he's still number one. Why? Because he's doing him. So I think what's really important, parents, is allow your kids to do them and you allow you to do you and stop trying to be somebody else, stop trying to fit in any mold and listen to that calling, that small inner voice that's inside of you and take inspired action on what it's telling you. That's it, everybody. Have an awesome week and we'll see you next week. All right, thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.